I'd like to read verse 13 to verse 22, which is, uh, they are all the verses that we've got left in the book. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and it became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbours, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And that's the key name, isn't it? David. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, we do thank you for uh, the blessings already of the meeting. Uh, Lord, of the hymns we can sing, of the lovely music we've, been, we've received, and uh, Lord, of the opportunity now to open your word at the end of our weekend. I pray, Lord, that if there's something here that you, someone might need uh, to encourage them or challenge them, I pray that, Lord, that your Holy Spirit uh, will do that in their hearts. And we commit this message to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, tonight will be my last message in the story of Ruth. Uh, and Naomi. And so far in this chapter 4, we've seen Boaz as Ruth's redeemer. The first part of the chapter is really about Ruth and uh, Boaz being Ruth's redeemer. We saw, firstly, what I call the negotiation. Uh, Boaz uh, uh, negotiated with Naomi's kinsman uh, that he might purchase the land and hopefully marry Ruth. After the the negotiation, we saw the confirmation that Boaz could indeed buy Naomi's field and marry Ruth uh, to raise up the name of Marlon, uh, Ruth's uh, deceased husband. And then we've just read, and uh, we looked at that last time, we saw the conception that after Boaz and Ruth had married, a baby son was born that was named Obed. And that's basically where we're up to in this chapter, which describes Ruth's Redeemer. And so, um, really, this is a happy ending to the story of Ruth. This is the, really the end of the story for Ruth, and it's a happy ending. And we've seen, really, that God blessed her for her right choices, and, and the Lord blessed her for her faithfulness. The second part of the, part of the chapter really is about Naomi, the, the story really starts with Naomi's hardships and uh, now it ends with Naomi. And uh, hers is also a happy ending. In the chapter we've seen Ruth's redeemer, but in this last part we, we read about Naomi's restorer. 
Naomi's restorer, and that's not my word, that's a Bible word. Now, the first thing we see here is what I've called the benediction. And uh, <coughs> if you don't know what a benediction is, uh, <coughs> you can look it up in the dictionary. But in verse 14, we see a benediction, the giving of some sort of praise <coughs> or ending for this whole story uh, by the women in verse 14. And the women said unto Naomi after the birth of the son, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. The women of Bethlehem finally got around their old friend. I suppose Naomi was someone they'd grown up with in the village. They'd probably gone if they, well, probably didn't have a school, but they, they spent a lot of their time together as children and uh, until, of course, uh, Naomi left uh, their village and went to Moab. Uh, but finally, in the end of the story, her old friends could get around and they gave her this wonderful song of praise. And that's basically what this is, I think, a, a song of praise. Now, the women placed their praise where it rightly belonged. Did you notice they said, uh, blessed be the Lord. That's capital L-O-R-D. This, uh, this is Jehovah, the, the God of, of Israel. They blessed the Lord, Jehovah God, for bringing Boaz into Naomi's life. Thank you, Lord, that you brought Boaz into Naomi's life. They put the praise where it belonged. They praised the Lord. And it says they blessed the Lord. Now, we pray for the Lord to bless other people. And we, by that, we, we simply mean we want the Lord to, to be kind to them or do good things for them. So how is it, what, what's it mean when we, people bless the Lord? It's the other way around. We know what it is when the Lord blesses us. So what does it mean when we bless the Lord? Well, it simply means to celebrate in praise. When we bless the Lord, we're celebrating in praise toward the Lord. And they blessed the Lord for not leaving Naomi without a kinsman. The women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. And included in the blessing was a prayer that Boaz's name may be famous in Israel. Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman that his name may be famous in Israel. Now I wonder if this was a sort of a traditional form of blessing. When we pray for the Lord to, to bless other people or we want, want kind things for them, we've got fairly traditional things that we ask the Lord uh, to do for people. Perhaps this was just one of the, the, the traditional forms of blessing of that time. To pray that the recipient will become famous among uh, other people. And here they prayed that the, that, it, that the kinsman, Boaz, would become famous in Israel. And well, when you, uh, when you think about what they asked the Lord for, uh, the Lord must have heard their blessing because here we are 3,500 years later at the bottom of the world telling, still telling his story. The Lord may be, be famous in Israel. It went beyond that. Boaz has become famous all around the world from generation to generation, even down, even down here in Australia. Now, Boaz became famous for the good things he did. <clears throat> so many have become famous for the evil things they did. And uh, I think this is a little bit of a, a challenge to all of us uh, about what we will become famous for or known for. 
Now, most of us won't become famous, except for Brother Fraser. He already is Fraser, uh, is famous. Uh, you can go anywhere in the country and they always know Fraser. He already is famous. Uh, but most of us won't be fa- famous like, like Boaz and Brother Fraser. But we should all want to leave this world with a legacy of the good things we've done. We hope that our children will remember that he was a good dad. Uh, not, not to remember us for the bad things we did or the selfish things we did. We should all want to have that sort of legacy that, that Boaz had of the good things that he did for Naomi and her family. Now, the blessing, the women's blessing went on to include what Boaz had done for Naomi. <clears throat> Verse 15. Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman that his name may be famous and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. First they said that Boaz would be a restorer of her life, Naomi's life. Now the Hebrew word for restorer simply means to turn, to turn around if you like. And indeed, Boaz had restored Naomi's life. By his actions, he had turned her around from being a sad, bitter woman to now being a blessed mother-in-law and a grandmother. He had turned around her whole life by the things that he had done. Next, they sang that he would be a nourisher in her old age. And I think in that ancient agrarian society, we can take that to mean that he would meet her basic needs. He would be able to nourish her for the rest of her life. You know, Naomi was facing, at this time, was facing poverty and starvation. The harvest was over. Ruth had no more work on the, on the fields. Uh, where was the food going to come from? That, she was facing poverty and starvation in a, in a world without a pension, in a world without health care. Without Boaz's help, she and Ruth would have been certainly destitute. And and it just reminded me, and it should remind all of us, that in many places in the world, the thing that is constantly on many people's minds is where am I going to get my next meal? For us, it's kind of how how we need to diet. (laughs) But there are many people in the world, millions of people in the world, they don't know where their next meal is coming from, and that's what they are always, it's always on their mind because they are poor. They're facing starvation if they don't find some way to meet their needs. We, we live in a society where people eat too much. But though our bellies are full, we mustn't forget those who are poor. And we should do all we can to nourish them, especially those of the household of faith. That's the, that's the New Testament principle. But in a spiritual way, we too, don't we, have as a restorer and nourisher for our soul. Not so much for our basic needs, but for our soul. And this is where Boaz is, if you like, a type of Christ for us. Jesus is our redeemer, just as Boaz was Naomi's redeemer. And when he comes into our life, he will restore and nourish us. You know, we see these similar ideas of restoring and nourishing in Psalm 23. Just quickly go over to that well-known psalm. On on Friday, I was asked to to do a little message on this at Wynne Manning's uh, memorial service. (coughs) 
And uh, when I read that uh, uh, about uh, Boaz being the restorer and nourisher uh, for Naomi, it made me think of Psalm 23, just the first three verses. We see exactly, really the same, exactly the same idea about the Lord, our shepherd, who, who, who does the same thing. Uh, Psalm 23, you know it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 1 tells us that the Lord is our shepherd and because he is our shepherd, we, we won't want, we won't have need. And of course, we know that the Lord here, the shepherd here is the redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find the Lord is our nourisher in verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Just, just picture those, those paddocks with luscious green grass. He leadeth me into green pastures and, be, and he leadeth me beside those still waters. Just think of those, the waters there to be, that the stock can, can drink when they're thirsty. I mean, wouldn't our farmers living in drought today like what we read here? Green pastures for their stock and ample water for them to drink. But those of us who are redeemed, we have a shepherd whose pastures are always green and who has all the spiritual water we need for our thirsty soul. He can be a nourisher for us. And we need to go to our redeemer. We need to go to our shepherd for the nourishment we need to survive in the spiritually dry world we live in. The, the pastures are green. Uh, the water is there, the water of his word, the meat of his word, all we need to be nourished in this world. And, and so if we're not nourished, if, if, we're, if we're somehow languishing in the world and we're not able to live the life he wants us to live, it's because we, we haven't been to him for the nourishment. You know, we need to go to him to be nourished spiritually as we face this world. In verse 3, we read how he is our restorer. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's exactly the same word as we found in the book of Ruth. He restoreth my soul. The Lord Jesus will turn us when we need turning. And that's why we need to go to him every day, confess our sins uh, and, and ask him to lead us back into those, those paths of righteousness. He'll, he'll turn us when we need turning. He'll lead us where we need to go. We have a redeemer who will nourish and restore our soul and he will lead us where we need to go. And we should go to him daily for that nourishment and for that restoration. Now, back in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, when the women sang, he shall restore thy life and nourish her in her old age, we know that they had one thing in mind when they sang that. And it's in the last part of verse uh, 15. They said, And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. And then they said, For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better than thee, to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Now, when I read that, I thought, what a wonderful testimony for Ruth. This isn't 
uh, this isn't sort of Ruth speaking about herself or even Boaz talking about his new wife. This is talking about the testimony of the village, the testimony of the people of Bethlehem, the women of the, the, the hardest people to sometimes please are the women. Sorry about that, ladies. I'll cop about that later. But for a lady, uh, it's very hard for them to, to match up to other ladies. But here are the women of the village. This is the testimony of her that, she, that, 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 that Naomi's daughter in love daughter-in-law loved Naomi. Ruth loved her mother-in-law. That's a tremendous testimony. Uh, she did, just didn't tolerate her mother-in-law or, or ignore her mother-in-law or push her mother-in-law away. No, she loved her mother-in-law. Now think about what Ruth was facing in her own life. Uh, she, she, uh, she, she, had, she was bereaved, bereaved of her, her husband as a young person. Uh, she was a foreigner, uh, she was a person uh, in a foreign land. Uh, but here she was, instead of thinking about herself, she loved her mother-in-law. Now, she loved her mother-in-law despite Naomi's self-pity and her bitterness. You know, what, Ruth was the daughter-in-law every mother would want. Now, not all daughter-in-laws, I understand, love their mothers-in-law. <laughs> but they could if they had Ruth's heart. Naomi came home from Moab, a sad and bitter woman. And now that, she must have been difficult to live with. She must have been difficult to try to get to, to do the right thing. And you could understand that Ruth, because she had her own things to deal with, she, she might have felt like rejecting, she might have tried to reject her, her mother-in-law. But despite Ruth's own bereavement and her being in a foreign land, she didn't reject her mother-in-law, rather she tried to help her. She loved her. And, and, and I think that this is a, a great challenge to all of you who are daughters-in-laws out there. Despite your mother-in-law and what she's like or not like, it's your heart that counts and you need to be a, a Ruth to your mother-in-law. Now, praise the Lord, we have one daughter-in-law and she's as a Ruth. And it makes a huge difference and a blessing to our family. Now, the greatest help that Ruth gave Naomi was that he gave her a grandson. That's really what this verse is about. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better than, thee, than seven sons, hath borne him. The greatest help she gave Naomi was to give her a grandson, and by doing that, <clears throat> the song went on, she, she was better for Naomi than seven sons. Now, Mrs. Benick had four sons, didn't you? Four sons, yes, only four, okay? <clears throat> now, maybe she'd trade all of them just for one loving... No, didn't think so. <laughs> a nice one, a Ruth, no? Well, <clears throat> I guess uh, Naomi didn't have to, you know, send seven sons away to just have one. But uh, I think this is just trying to show us how wonderful Ruth was to her mother-in-law. She was better to her simply because she was able to give her that grandson that we read about. We read about it in verse 16, and Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. You know, there's nothing like a baby, a new life, to cheer a widow's heart. <clears throat> in fact, I think it was Alison was telling us at the dinner table today <clears throat> how somewhere in the world, or is it in the world or Australia, in Scandinavia, that, that there is this, uh, some of the nursing homes are having their, they have the nursing home and the, 
the preschooler in the same place. And so the, preschool, the preschoolers are running around uh, where all the uh, old people are and, it's, and the, the old people are get, getting better. You know, they're getting healthier and they're getting more alert because the children are around. You see, there's nothing like a new life to cheer a widow's heart. Here was this woman who was Mara. She's bitter. Don't call me Naomi. I'm Mara. I'm bitter. But because of this little baby, she was... She was a Mara no more, but Naomi, pleasant, just like she had been before. And so, after this blessing, Naomi just took the child and, and she, it tells us here that she had the blessing of becoming its nurse. So she was able to take care of that baby. Now, I'm not sure how it worked, <clears throat> but it seems there, there was a communal naming of the, ba- of the baby. In verse uh, 17, and the, and the women, her neighbours, gave it a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, I don't know whether Ruth and Boaz had chosen a name, but the ladies had given them this nickname, Obed, and that's the one that stuck. You know, sometimes that's the way it is in families, isn't it? They get their official name, but everybody calls the, the child something else, and that's the name that sticks. I think sunshine's this. That's, just, that's just the way it is with sunshine. I'm going to have to ask you later. Uh, but uh, but that's the, that, has, that happens in families. I'm not sure how the community uh, named the child, but clearly they did. And the name stuck. The name means a servant. And maybe the ladies thought that this baby was a servant to Naomi. This, this baby was changing Naomi's heart. But um, Obed, of course was significant for one reason. And that was that he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And it tells us that, and the women, her neighbours, gave it a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi and they call his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so that's the significant thing about Obed and that's mostly what we know about him. But it was upon that statement that then the writer uh, of Ruth, and he must have, uh, of course, written this after the King David, the reign of King David or during the reign of King David, he then went on to give this, uh, what we call, might call the generations. So he's given the benediction and now we see the generations at the end of the book. He said, now these are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, Ram begat Amimadad, Amimadad begat Nashon, Nashon begat Salmon, Salmon begat Boaz, Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse, Jesse begat David. I did pretty well then, didn't I? Well, tell me later if I mixed up one. But, but uh, uh, those, all those names are pretty clear. And so, what's the significance of that? Significance of that? Why would, after this lovely story about Ruth and Naomi, why would they end it with this, you know, um, just the genealogy? Well, it's very significant, genealogy. And the thought is that perhaps the writer of the book had in mind Genesis 49.10. So if you just want to flip over there, Genesis 49 and verse 10. I know, Pastor Crockett is the expert on this part of uh, Genesis, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it right. Genesis chapter 49 
and verse 10. We know that Jacob um, did it, blessed all of his sons and he gave them all a specific blessing. And uh, the one that is particular to Judah is in verse 10, the scepter. And of course, the scepter speaks of kingship, of the throne. Who's going to be the king? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, which is a messianic title, it's a... Uh, it's one of the first mentions of the Messiah in the, in the Old Testament. The scepter, the throne shall not depart from Judah, none of the other uh, tribes of Israel, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him all the gathering of the people be. Now, in the genealogy in Ruth, it starts with Pharaz. Pharaz and ends with David and uh, all the Jews would have known that Phares was one of the sons of Judah. And so the, the genealogy in Ruth begins with Phares, who was the son of Judah. And here we read that Joseph, Jacob prophesied that the scepter, the kingly line of, uh, leading to Messiah, would come to Judah, of which Obed was a part. And so the writer of Ruth wanted his readers to know that that when David became the king, it was in keeping with Jacob's prophecy. The legitimate king of Israel would come from the tribe of Judah. And when the writer wrote that, perhaps he wrote it after David was made king. Oh, but just to legitimise that definitely David was uh, in line with, the, with what the prophecy was. He was the legitimate king through whom Messiah would come and that would lead us to our last verse for the series Matthew chapter 1 if we'd just like to flip over there Shiloh when Shiloh would come Matthew chapter 1 and verses 1 and 5 the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David. Now, of course, Matthew speaks of Jesus as the king. All the different uh, gospels speak of the various aspects of uh, Christ's ministry and person, and Matthew is to show us that Jesus is the king. And so that's why they, the, Matthew begins with the, this fact that Jesus uh, is the son of David. He's the son of David. He's in the kingly line. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then he lists right down from Abraham, and then you get to verse 5, and Salmon, Salmon begat, that should be Boaz, uh, or Boaz, it's from Hebrew to Greek, of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, and there in verse 5, there she is, Ruth, Ruth. There, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, uh, the son of David, who will be the one, the prophesied, and who one day will rule um, in Israel in the millennial age. Right there in that genealogy is this young Moabite widow. widow. Here she is, a Gentile. It's a very uh, simple girl from the Gentile country in the line of David and Jesus. 
And the blessing for us is uh, a bit like Ruth. We are Gentiles, most of us. <laughs> but whether you're a Gentile or you're a Jew, we can all be planted into the life of Messiah. That's what the gospel is. Now, only the Jews uh, who are living when Jesus comes will receive the physical benefits of the, of the, the covenants. But Jew and Gentile, who, all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be planted into the life of Messiah, just like we find Ruth planted into the genealogy of Messiah. And when we are planted into the life of Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's there that he can be our redeemer. And that's there he can be our restorer. And it's there that he can be our nourisher. And I hope that he is your redeemer and that you are going to him for that restoring and for that nourishing. I think that's a good way to end our little series in Ruth. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the testimony of Ruth, uh, uh, Lord, for her wonderful life. And uh, Father, we thank you for her commitment to her mother-in-law, her love for her mother-in-law, and a willingness to help. Father, we see your hand right through that story. Uh, Lord, how you, have, you led them, Ruth and Naomi, all the way uh, to that time when Boaz was able, Lord, uh, to redeem, uh, Lord, that land and marry Ruth. We see your hand, uh, Lord, right through it all, and we give you praise and glory. Father, I pray that we might be able to be like faithful Ruth, I pray that we might be able to trust you, that you would be our God and we would follow you. And uh, Father, that we would be a blessing to those that we need to be a blessing to. We thank you also that you um, are willing to be our restorer and our nourisher. And I pray that we would go to you uh, for those ministries. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to...